0: Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode eighty-seven, and it is Christmas. Is it? It well, almost. It's it's almost <laughs> Christmas, <laughs> but this is our last episode before Christmas. So, welcome to our Christmassy set. It's it's. I feel slightly sick. It's uh, you know, in full, absolutely in the spirit of things.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very red and silver and light bulby and candle-y <laughs> and.
0: We even have a fire going. We've,
1: yeah, we, I do even have a fire going in the background. No no, no expense spared. Well, no expense spared. Exactly. Exactly. So today's our like our
0: special, our second Christmas, special Christmas episode already in the history of the Camera
1: Check Podcast. That's true. You know, that's very true. It. Yeah. Um, I don't really know where it's gone, but we're not at the end of the year yet. No, not quite. No, but we are still no. in the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. We're in the Yeah, we're still in the pandemic. Yeah,
0: still in the pandemic. And and again, on the verge of another lockdown. Yeah, you in a that? few days. It's yeah. going to
1: happen, isn't it? Well, they, they haven't said that, but it's going to happen. So here's the thing, right? So
0: by the time we're recording this, we would have just heard, literally, um, on the news that, you know, our, our national scientists have been um, advising our government and they have been advising them to basically put more drastic measures into place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then our government has come out and said, well, they're not going to do that. So... Uh, uh good or not
1: i don't know you know from a public perspective doesn't sound like it's the right thing to do um to ignore them that is yeah absolutely but from a personal perspective knowing how safe i keep myself and who i'm surrounding myself with and all of that i'm very happy if i'm brutally honest
0: well i mean it's, yeah of course but you know the thing is i think i you know as we're sitting here this week we are still together in the same room who knows might not happen next week. It might not happen next week, exactly. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, if you see ourselves in separate mm-hmm. locations next week, do you know what's been going on. So, yep. you know. And I am drinking beer. Yeah. Frustratingly, um, that's where we are two years, almost two years later. Uh, you know. Good times. Good times. Anyway, we're going to have a good time because it is Christmas. Um, and in the spirit of Jingle Belts, I have a little present for you. at There you go. Merry what, Christmas. Well, what, what's this? Uh, they, they are on Lindos. The, what? This is a this is a special...
1: So, so rather than putting a, a bow on, you've put fr- uh, you've put three Lindor chocolates wow. in the shape of a bow. Well,
0: I, you know, I may or may not have
1: wrapped this myself. <laughs> I see. Oh, wait, let's have a little look at the paper. This is this is important. Rawsome Christmas. Exactly. No, have a roaring good Christmas. Wow. Title aside, fun fact for you. Do you know, out of every... Christmas number one song that there has been in the UK, how many songs have had the word Christmas or Xmas in the title? I don't know. Have a wild guess. What in terms of percentage? Just a, a straight number. There have been technically 70 or 80 Christmas numbers. Oh, ones. okay.
0: I'll say 35, half of
1: them. Okay. No. I'll give you one more shot. Uh, 20. Nope. Seven. Really? That's it. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. There you go. Side. I did. Did a, uh, a Christmas quiz earlier, and oh. uh, that was one of the, one of the things. So, yeah. Right, so well, I mean, I have to oh. say, you know, I played. I actually
0: played, um, or I, ha- I had the Alexa play a Spotify Christmas song list yesterday. Nice. Whilst, whilst my mum is over here, and there's a whole different story. but I'll tell you about this later. Well, basically, <laughs> um, we were like, you know, uh, baking Christmas cookies with the kids and everything um, yesterday, and. Um, uh, you know, put some Christmas music on.
1: You know, got the Spotify
0: Christmas song list out, and I, and I tell you, I probably recognised a quarter of the tracks.
1: Wow! Yeah, is it because none, none of them were by David Hasselhoff? It probably yeah. You, I mean, you're a, yeah. Well, I know how I'm big of a Hoff fan. Yeah. Well, well, absolutely, yeah. You know, being German and all, <laughs> you cannot beat the Hoff. Exactly. So. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. No. Right. So the interesting thing is, is that. I got K nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And there is a reason for it. I just don't like him. Uh, (laughs) There's it. No, I um, I have expensive taste. I've literally been working 65 to 70 hours a week for about six weeks. And I got 45 minutes to an hour's Christmas shopping in uh, yesterday.
0: Well, see, I knew this already. That's it. Which is why I geared my present to you. So that it might wake, make your your work week a little bit easier.
1: Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. Can I open it? Sorry. Yeah, I'll open it. Right. Go on. Right. Do I take the balls off first? Whatever. Can I take your balls of my present <laughs> first? <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay. Right. Uh, Weirdly, I felt a bit like Dave Williamson. Well, well, there you sounds, go. Sounds very much like something he would say. <laughs> hey, Dave. How's Iceland? Wait, no, he's in. Is he still in Iceland? He's,
0: well, as we speak at the moment, he's in Finland in
1: Lapland. Ah, yeah, yeah. Lapland. My friend just came back from Lapland. Really? Yeah. Uh, with his family. Came back with COVID. Oh, really?
0: Hmm. Wow, I'm, I'm well, surprised. His daughter did anyway. I'm
1: surprised there are enough people there to yeah. even spread the news. Is this like a 70 to 200 lens? <laughs> yeah, it'd be good, wouldn't it? Could, yeah. <laughs> 800. It is. Well, <laughs> It's a wooden box, everybody. A wooden box. We have a wooden box. So, I mean, you know. We're talking about, about presents for oh, wait, photographers. Oh, it's still a wooden box all the way around. Yeah. It looks like it needs to lay flat. Okay. Let's see. Wait, which way shall I open it? Towards me or towards the camera? Hmm. I'll open it towards the camera. Okay. Oh, here we go. And it's just some hay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hay. <laughs> Look at that. Just That's all hay. it is. Thanks, mate. Well. But no, there's more inside. What have we got here? Oh, wow. What's this? What is this? Oh. Imported bl- Canadian Club. Canadian Whisk Canadian whiskey. There you go. You know, that nation famed for its whiskey. Exactly. Smooth and oaky, well. it says. Oh, wow. Look at that. Exactly. Thank you very much. That's well, a- well that is interesting and this is in no way prepared I assure you but I did bring in some whiskey for us to have during the episode as coincidence will have it. pure coincidence so it does mean I have two glasses <laughs> What are the chances? Yeah, what are the chances? Look at that. As if there was planned, but it wasn't. It really wasn't. It really, really wasn't. That's amazing. Oh, thank you very much. That's I'm right, just going to clean up this hay because I don't like mess. <laughs> oh, it's all over me. It's all over me. Oh, that's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And a wicked box to go with it. Yeah. That's superb. I'm going to put the box on the floor, there for a minute. No. Space. Right. Should we keep talking? Well, um, sure. I'll... I'll, I'll I'll, I'll be heist. I'll pull. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna finish this first now. So. so yeah, so it,
0: it wasn't a, you know it was an interesting week this week, and not only you know because of what's been going on um, in you know in the world, well especially in this country in, in terms of mm-hmm. Omicron or Omicron, whichever oh, way you know. want to pronounce that. I have no idea. Um, but also, you know, as I mentioned, like, my, my mom's come over for the first time in two years, and uh, I went to pick her up from Heathrow Airport. Oh, and I don't think I've ever seen the Arrivals Hall at Heathrow being so empty. Really? Like... Yeah. uh, I was actually expecting, because typically, obviously, you know, just before Christmas, it's heaving. Like, typically, it's, you know, it's packed because you've got so many people traveling in. But I guess, you know, with the worry about COVID and everything, um, it seems like that's really not happening this year. So, it was eerily quiet. Yeah. And in fact... You know, she was, already, she was already through passport control and everything else um, by the time I got there.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's never happened before. I mean, hard. I used to find that going through Terminal 5 sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, you could be off the plane and out, out the door in half an hour. Yeah. Um, but that's been a long time since it's been like that. But that's, you know, that's amazing. <clears throat> I mean, it's, over the last, whenever I've traveled over the last um, maybe two or three years,
0: um, especially passport control has been such a mm-hmm. pain. Mm -hmm. um that you know you were stuck there for like half an hour 40 minutes just queuing you know to get through it yeah um so the fact that she was she was basically running through the whole thing meant that there were hardly any people there um so it's good man it's been yeah it's been interesting um did she bring you any treats yeah i think she brought a whole suitcase full of treats excellent
1: that's what mums are for yeah absolutely yeah so yeah it's been good um is is this one of the treats? Do we talk about him, or we're oh, we just going to let that
0: go? I mean, this is not. Yeah, you know, he's here because we, you know, we needed a guest. True. <laughs> so we invited Murph. This is Murph, by the way. Um, one of the things. So this is like you know, you all seriously, and all seriousness. If you are, um, you know, if you are intending to, let's say, improve your lighting technique, or you know, try out different lenses or anything like that. Um, if you're into portrait photography i think it's it's really super useful to have one of these mannequin tabo heads mm. um, mm-hmm. so i've used him for quite some time you know just to try out different lighting patterns you know different um different modifiers you know just playing around with different different ideas Um uh, because he uh you know he's like a, the size of a human head basically and you can put you can put a wig on it you can put all sorts of different things on it um, take it on a date take it on a date yeah, yeah.
1: And you can sit on pop, a lighting pop stand. Pop down to Beaconsfield McDonald's <laughs> on a date with him. So, and he has an adapter um, at the bottom <laughs> where uh, you can you can
0: put him on a lighting stand. So you can literally put him up um, in your setup in your studio, or you know if you're doing it
1: at home. Yeah. Um, and you can light, light
0: him in any way. You don't need the live model.
1: Um, and you can learn a ton. Do you use him for um to get focus when you're shooting yourself? Yeah. So that's that's one of the things I started doing. Yeah, mm, yeah it's, it's a good idea. If you can find it, obviously support him in the right way. What is on his glasses? Oh, that's ice. I, so, I say it, it looks like doesn't look like ice. <laughs> so, so these glasses are. It's actually part of a uh,
0: of a photo shoot <gasps> we did with David. Williams. I was
1: going to say, is this the thing you did yeah, with Dave? Oh, ah, yeah. yes. So it's a prop. It's a prop. Wicked. Shoot. Wicked. Um, and what's what's the ice made made from? What did you use for that? It's a glue gun. It's glue. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Nice. Yeah, right. For this particular shoot, so the idea was to uh, create you know an image that was um, almost like sort of a an Arctic explorer style image. Yeah, you know, and uh, so we had a you know
1: we had like a big Parker. Isn't this the shot or some of the shots that he's using currently on as some of his thumbnails? Yeah, on, yeah. um That's it on his current his uh, YouTube channel right yeah. now. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, so if, you, if you go to uh, the, the Wicked,
0: so I Dave Williams uh, and Coffee Fernway and stuff like that. So you'll, you'll find it. Um, you'll see the shot on social media and whatever yeah totally. but the idea there was basically to create to create um uh, a portrait style you know of an arctic explorer type of a look so we had fake snow which actually on camera looks super realistic mm, yeah interesting um and then we just wanted to kind of create some icicles or something you know coming off of this that uh, come off these these um, snow glasses
1: um and that worked quite well love it yeah love it and the hat that's your hat, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, a hat
0: is just like a lumberjack type of, type of a hat. You yeah, g- got to go with the heritage. I guess. That's yeah, that's one of the things. So, oh but I mean, again, you know, purely, uh, purely from a from a practicing point of view, um, these sort of hats really don't set you back a lot. You can get them in all different skin colors. By the way, if you're, you know if there's something specific you're, you're practicing, um, you can get female and male hats, um, and they are super awesome if you want to improve your, your lighting technique. Yeah. Your totally. portrait lighting technique I should say. So um, I've, yeah I've always found it very very useful. I use that a lot when I'm sort of playing around with different ideas maybe for different um, mm. you know different headshot styles or mm. something that I was you know you just. But if you get a new modifier it's always useful.
1: Exactly. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, was cool. Gels. Or whatever it is you want to practice. I like it. I like him. What's his name? Murph. Murph. Why, math? I don't know. No, dear. It's, it's just that's just his name. So, <laughs> so Kay has a habit of giving inanimate objects names, mm-hmm. particularly plants and toilets. Go figure. <laughs> toilets? I don't know. <laughs> I
0: don't know what I, I've not. I no. call him John. That's yeah, John. John.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, yeah, our plants have names. They, they do. Yeah, yeah our plants they have, have names. Do. Um, you know, Bob recently died, by the way. So did he? No.
1: What's the uh, what's the other one with, um, on on set in Wickham? Oh, Frankie Boy, Frankie Boy. I saw him the other day. Uh, he doesn't look too good, I guess. He looks exactly the same as he did two years ago, <laughs> which is dead, but he still somehow looks alive. Well, very. He's just he's not gone brown. He's just drooped, and that's that's <laughs> perfect for a set. Think about it. Mean, you know, yeah. unless.
0: unless at least we're using real plants, not using plastic. Yeah, that's, there is that. Yeah, there mm-hmm. is that.
1: So, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, should we try this whiskey? Oh, for
0: food? sure. 100%. Merry Christmas.
1: Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to our viewers and listeners. Let's uh, let's see how this tastes. You yeah. know, Canada- Canada's finest.
0: So the last time I had whiskey with you,
1: it didn't end too well. No, it didn't. <laughs> Surprisingly smooth. It's not bad. It's, f- it's oddly fruity. I don't have that much experience when it comes to whiskey, but this tastes good. It's the kind of whiskey you can down. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, this is good actually. That's dangerous. Right, let's see how um how this the next hour goes. <laughs> yeah, this is promising to be fun. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> anyway, so um, Christmas um, time. My <laughs> <balls>. <laughs> um Yeah, so I mean, you know, what if you what have you been doing to get yourself into the Christmas spirit so far?
1: Nothing. Nothing. No,
0: I don't get myself into
1: the Christmas spirit. This is as Christmassy as I've ever been. Right. Check out the jumper, though. No. Don't know if you can see that on camera. It's a reindeer. Yeah. Whoa. It's got another ball on it <laughs> for a nose. Look at that. Yeah. Look at that. That's Massive. That's, that's impressive. Massive. You might go see a doctor for that. It's more the redness. Yeah, more um, the hmm. redness, yeah. Honestly, nothing. Like I say, I, I got an hour's shopping in yesterday. Yeah. And that's that's the only Christmas-related thing I've done so far. Right, just haven't had time. And the, couple, the few hours I've had off here and there, I've been too tired. It's no. just not. Yeah, but another couple of days, and I'll be relaxed. I'm going to take four days off straight. Hmm. Do you have like do you have any
0: like uh, sort of family Christmas time plan? Or? Yeah,
1: <clears throat> yeah, um, uh, over at my mum's on Christmas Day itself. Um, over my girlfriend's on Boxing Day. All right. Um, and then back to my mum's um, sort of evening time mm. as well. And the bank holidays are kind of up in the air. Oh, you, you know, those bank holidays you didn't know existed. I That just went straight past me. I just didn't make the connection. So when a bank holiday falls on a weekend here, mm. cause it's always on this, cause it's like Christmas. In fact, it's only Christmas. That this happens with Christmas and Boxing Day, it's, it's always the twenty fifth and 26th. Or it could be, could it be Easter. No, no, because that'll always still be the Friday and the Monday. Oh, of course it would. Yeah. Um, That's if it I falls on a weekend, any yeah. of it, you get the you get the week days off bank right. holidays. All right. But this year, because they both fall on the weekend, you get four. You get four days of Christmas. Kind of how it feels. Yeah. Because you're basically the idea is so you always get two days off work. Yeah, so
0: because Monday and Tuesday are effectively. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Christmas Day and um, and Boxing Day.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah! I didn't realize that. Mm. So, okay. uh, Imagine my surprise. How long have you lived here? Too long. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think many other countries do that, though. I don't think I don't believe the US do anything like that. I don't believe Germany do that. Canada. You know, I don't know. I, I seriously don't know. It's great.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I can't remember. I mean, I've, to, to be fair, I've spent more Christmases in this country than I have in any other. So I don't really remember. Mm. I actually don't remember any, you know, at any any point having Christmas on the weekend. So I don't know. That's not, you know, and typically, obviously, I mean, in Germany, Christmas is slightly different in the sense that uh, the big day is the twenty fourth, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, right? Yeah. So that's when that's when the presents happen and all that. Yeah. Um, It's funny how they've come up with sort of a, a workaround for Christmas showing up because uh, for, for Santa Claus showing up, because obviously the whole thing about him arriving at night and climbing down the chimney and all that kind of stuff isn't going to work if, you know, if he comes on Christmas Eve. So, you know, you have to kind of, you have to sort of rework that whole storyline a little bit so mm. that it actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. So what typically happens is, you know, as a kid, like, you know, you have dinner, Christmas dinner, which is on the 27th, uh, sorry, on the 24th. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is, you know, your parents always draw out or drag out the Christmas dinner kind of a thing. So everything's super slow and as a kid you sit there and you go, Oh man, come on. Presents, presents, presents. Mm-hmm. Um and then you know you have to like clear the table and everything takes a lot of time. And then, then you're sent off to your room. <laughs> right? And in that time, apparently that, that, that is when Santa comes, apparently. So that's I the
1: see. that's the thing. And how old were you when um you weren't sent to your room anymore? Mm-hmm. Twenty one. <laughs> <laughs> oh superb. I, I I really, really hope that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Where isn't that, you know?
0: But that typically I mean that typically happens, I guess, you no. Know, um and it was it was always funny in my family because my parents were really mean, actually. They they really um dragged the whole thing out into the evening because we had, you know, Christmas dinner in the evening. Um but my cousins uh, who lived in a different town a couple of hours away. You know they always had it in the afternoon and so they would already call at like five o'clock with all the presents and everything you know they're like "Hey, look at what up you know and um and i still be sitting there going we haven't even had dinner yet oh <laughs> man know <laughs> this,
1: yeah, this isn't cool but you know that's that's a german tradition i think you need to raise that with mum now that she's over
0: i am because you know yeah. because of course now she's over here you know we're doing it we're following the english tradition and i'm not going to give her a presents until halfway through christmas day
1: that's my revenge that's mean. I know. That's mean. I know. How old are you mum? Uh
0: six Wasn't
1: six, six are <laughs> you? There's no way that's <laughs> true. <laughs>
0: yeah, sixties, um Really? Sixties sixty five uh, hang on, let me think. Sixty six or sixty seven, yeah, sixty six.
1: and how much younger than you are am I? You, Do you, quite a few years, right?
0: Yeah, you were like nine years younger than me or something, or ten. Or something, nine or ten. Oh, like twenty. I, I, I always <laughs> think twenty. Yeah. Well, you know, visually, clearly. Twenty,
1: but... Okay. Uh, yeah, something like that. Oh, my mum's about the same age. Oh, really? Well, my mum was very young when she had me. So. And I know she's watching. I know how old <laughs> you are. <laughs> Cheers. I know how old you are. <laughs> Cheers, Mummy Curry. <Kirby>. <laughs> right. That's enough about Christmas. Good God. Bah, humbug. Let's talk about something interesting. Well, now, um, and I know there is going to be a couple of you out there who are going to monitor the number of times I top up my glass. <laughs> I am not going to top up Kay's glass because he's driving. I oh, am easy. <clears throat> so, I thought about this,
0: and I thought, you know, when I like, thinking back about twenty twenty one, there has been like there has been a lot of changes. Like we have gone through a lot of changes, although. I mean, I would say business has picked up and, you know, things have moved along and yep. it wasn't quite as like stationary in, in a sense sure. as 2020. Um, you know, definitely we're in a completely different place now than compared to where we were at the beginning of the year. Although uh, a year ago, exactly a year ago, we were, we were saying like, oh man, I can't wait for 2021 to come around. You know, there's going to be this, you know, 2021 is going to be the year where everything changes, you know, COVID will be history and, you know, it's a new start and everything. And now here we are at the end of 2021 and it still feels exactly the same, as in, like, oh, man, we're staring down the barrel of another lockdown. You know, we're sort of in the same place. There's a new variant, which is just as dangerous as the old one was without any vaccinations and all that kind of stuff. You know, we're sort of in in exactly the same place, but a number of things have changed. I mean, one of the things, I think, um, that, that has changed for us is actually, I mean, we've, you know, we've gotten a lot more toys to play with
1: over the last year. Yeah. So, my, my bank balance very much knows that.
0: <laughs> so, what was the, what do you think was the, the best gear that you uh, bought in 2021?
1: The best piece of gear? I, I don't know if I have an answer to that. I've, I've done, I've, I've changed and upgraded so much in the last year. Yeah. You know, um, the biggest change was obviously moving from um, Panasonic and Nikon to, full canon system so to yep. the c70 and the r6 the c oh the c70 is just i love that camera mm. i mean that that's what we're filming on right now um it is just the more i use it which is you know understandable the more i use it the happier with it i get mm. and the more limited you know the limitations i find of it too which is what happens when you use something over and over sure. and over and over and over again? You find its strengths, you find its, its, um, its weaknesses. And there's just so many strengths to it. And I, absolutely, it just makes, put it this way, it makes filming joyful. You know? what, was the, it, what was the biggest thing for you, fun. like
0: moving from the, from the Panasonic GH5S to the C70? What was like the, the biggest change for you? other than let's say the
1: colors or something, purely from sure. a
0: practical like point of view?
1: Oh, good question. Practical point of view. Um, okay, so single-handedly, the biggest difference I found as soon as I started using it, and I guess that's probably you know it's changed slightly as you get used to it and um, you find out new things about the camera mm. and yeah you know, how it operates. But as soon as, basically, pretty much as soon as I switched it on, I realised the how how good the autofocus system right. is on it okay. and its ability to face track is just spectacular no yeah. it's so good so so good the tracking on the GH5S was just atrocious really it's yeah. awful um you know if it's perfect conditions yeah it'll do it it'll do its job absolutely absolutely but what what's the canon have done on the C70 is just amazing. I'm sure it's the same systems in um uh the other cinema line as well, but mm. it's just absolutely amazing. There was there is a so they've released like the R5 as well and the mm. um the R3 as well since the C70 has come out. And I was watching I, I've other than having my hands on the R3 at the photography show. Mm-hmm. I've watched some videos on comparisons between the R3 and the C70. They're not the same thing. First of all, they are for different purposes. Let's just put out there. But obviously as the R3 is a hybrid shooter is sensational. What a camera that that thing is. And they did a comparison of the autofocus as part of that. Um, I forget the guy's name right now, Um, but he's, he doesn't have all that many followers on, on YouTube, but he, bloody deserves it but that sounds familiar so if you are listening to this <laughs> to this podcast exactly. make sure you head over to youtube.com um, and give us a follow-up we, we very much appreciate yeah. it thank you very much. Well. exactly but he he is full of knowledge practical knowledge straight talking no mm. fluff and crap around the edges just this is how i see it this is practically what happened mm. and he goes about in a methodical way you can't ask for more um I'm going to tell Kay after this exactly who it is. So we we put a link to him in the description yeah. below. Um, anyway, he did a com- comparison, and the C70' its face tracking is potentially slightly better than the R3's um, tracking, mm-hmm. which it would do eye tracking on the R3, I guess. Um, but the key feature, the key feature that the R3 doesn't have but the C70 does is face only tracking. Right. So, what I mean by that is if you put um eye tracking on the R3, the R6, the R5, anything like that, it'll focus on an eye. If it doesn't find an eye, it'll focus on what it thinks to focus on. Hmm. Okay? So, if you're if you're doing a shot of yourself, let's say, or or someone else and they move out of frame, it's going to then focus on the background. That's you know, hmm. ultimately what it do. You don't really want that cuz that looks rubbish and an yeah. amateur c70 you can switch it to face only so that as soon as you as you start leaving the frame it's going to track your face to the edge of the frame as soon as you leave it it's going to leave it at the focus that it was mm-hmm. at when you left the frame yeah you can't ask for more than that it's superb i don't know why that feature isn't on available on every single camera because it's <laughs> Clearly, easy to. You know, we've
0: said this several times. You know, this is like a bit of a kind of an in joke whenever we're setting up to record an episode here. You know, we're trying to outfox the uh, the face tracking on the C70, and we we have yet to manage to do that. Yeah. Um, So it is
1: sliding fast. Yeah, I know. It's it's a total tangent onto the C70. C70. (laughs) Um, I I guess what so the so C70 is probably my favorite gear purchase of the year. Followed closely by Mark Graded um, Legs and Fluid Head. Oh, okay. Because they're just, they've made the world of difference. Although, admittedly, I haven't been able to use them all that much since I got them. Mm-hmm. Just, a, you know, a good handful of times. But enough to know that, God, I enjoy using those. Mm. It's just in- adjo- enjoyable to use. So um, so I've got the satchel. Um, oh god the legs name escaped me right now um, I forget I'll let you know you can put it yeah. in the description um, but they're, they're the ones which um, just have um, latches at the top to raise up and down rather yeah. than multiple sections of legs yeah that's really oh practical god, actually yeah. amazing really makes all the difference and then the head um, was the active eight I believe it was the active six mm-hmm. fluid head from Satchler. And it is just sensational.
0: It's sometimes you know when you look at tripods, I think um, you forget that the whole the practicality issue is is mm-hmm. really super important. Yeah, you know the kind of stuff that we usually shoot um, it does require to to reset the tripod and move it around you know very often and so it does, yeah. just to you know rather than it having like you know twist type of you know connectors or like um you know locks on the legs or like you know flaps or whatever to be able to take this thing and just simply to lift it up and move it around and it'll just if just fo- everything just falls into place it's Yeah, such a time saver
1: what what's so great about this combination of um head and it, it's it's not a flat plate on the mm-hmm. um the tripod it's a bowl instead mm. so what that enables you to do is you don't actually have to set your tripod le- tripod legs up straight as in level. Yeah. You don't. Doesn't matter. You'll want it to be there or thereabouts to make sure mm. that it's stable, obviously. And secure and it doesn't fall over or topple mm. over. But what you can then do is even if it's, you know, kind of on the on the piss a little bit, like this, because it's in the bowl head.
0: So by the way, this this um that term on the piss, I never really I never understood what that meant when I first moved to this country. No <laughs> way. Right. Yeah, it's like it took it took years. You know, when people, like, people are talking about like how they, you know, they're hanging pictures or whatever, picture frames. they go, like, oh, there's a little on the
1: piss. Like, you know, shelves or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about like, on the piss? What's Superb. going on? <laughs> but, Superb. Superb. Yeah. I think all of it. well, actually, um, did I say that in America? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I've never oh. heard that before. Okay. So on the piss are um, transatlantic cousins. Uh, it just simply means it's, it's, it's not level. It's just, that's it. <laughs> that's all it means. On the piss. Yeah. That's all it means. I, c- I couldn't give you the entomology of it or where it comes from. Yeah, I have no idea. But anyway, the legs can be on the pierce, but with the head, um, particularly with this satchel head, you just lift the lever at the front. It's got a, obviously got a um, spirit level bubble yeah. um, on it, and you just look at it, move, 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 and it's straight, locked, done. It yeah. takes seconds, seconds, and you're completely yeah. level. Yeah, because uh, ultimately, super fast. all that matters is the, as long as the camera's level, it's actually all that matters. And the
0: whole thing is light as a feather. That's the other thing.
1: Yeah, all carbon fiber. Don't get me wrong; it was not cheap, but I'm glad I spent the money mm. because they're going to last me a lifetime. And anything, anything quality. like anything like
0: tripods, um, I think you know you get what you spent. Yeah, basically, um, it's worth spending a few more bucks you know, yeah. on, a, on a tripod or even a head
1: uh, because you get something that will last you a lot longer. I think with any gear, it's um, there's a level of kind of um, diminishing returns. So once you start paying a certain amount yeah. for a, a tripod or a head or anything like that, once you start, you know, it's, it's that kind of curve. You know, it's really steep, brilliant, brilliant. Once you hit, just for argument's sake, a £1,000, mm. then, you know, £2,000. Three thousand no. pounds, and then
0: you, you know what I mean. Yeah, and you know that's the thing. I mean, it depends on. I, I think you know it depends on what it is that you're spending money on. Like, for instance, tripods, I wouldn't skimp on that. Yeah, like tripods, lenses, you know that sort of thing. I would spend the money um, because what you're really buying is the longevity of it. Mm. You know, uh, when it comes to light modifiers, though, I have to say that. I don't actually think you have to spend a l- oh, that much money on 100%. light modifiers. So this is the, probably the one area where I would say, you know, a lot of the kind of branded light modifiers, like softboxes or whatever, um, are really not worth the money. Yeah. In comparison to cheaper alternatives. You get similar, if not the exact same results, with an Octobox, you know, that costs you £60, let's say. In comparison to one that cost you two hundred pounds, and I guarantee that you won't really see the difference in that. Absolutely. Um And totally so agree. that's one thing I've learned. Um, I think you know over time is that uh, they're really, for me anyway, I don't see the need to spend you know a lot of a lot of money
1: on like you know a pro photo branded. 100 oh, percent. I mean, we're looking. At, so what we're using right now up here is a uh, an aperture light dome, the the largest size. I think what's that? Three foot.
0: Yeah, like that, give or take, whatever yeah.
1: it might be. And the primary reason for getting that rather than something that's basically half the price, because mm-hmm. you can you can get those half the price, no worries, sure. something similar, mm-hmm. um, is uh, there's, there's two reasons. Well, there's one reason, and the second reason I thought would be relevant, but it's turned out not to be relevant. Um, so the main reason is because of the way it, you set it up and set it down. Yeah, It's got these, you just kind of latches if you like mm-hmm. click around and then they push out, open and yeah. it's down rather than having to pull out any kind of yeah. um, rods or anything like that and the convenience of it yeah. and that's what end up what you're paying for and the second reason was um, within it you get a an additional bones mount kind of magnetic holder if you like that you can mm. just quickly pop open and put gel in done oh right okay yeah that's cool nice nice touch yeah. nice touch Turns out don't use gels all that often in it, that's mm. all. But it's nice to have that option. Yeah. Um, so they're there really the two reasons I ended up getting that.
0: See the reason why I use the, the octo boxes that I
1: use. I'm just about to eat one of your balls <laughs> oh, there you
0: go. Oh. Um so yeah, there's reason why I use the, the octo boxes that I use, um is the they sort of open up like an umbrella almost. Mm-hmm. And that is super quick. It's literally one movement, the whole thing is open. It's that is so quick and so practical. You know. Um, there is sort of you know there's a little danger that you get your the skin of your fingers caught in it if you don't do it right. So it, it pays off to pay attention to what you're doing. But that being said, you know if you know how to do it, mm-hmm. um, it is incredibly click. I mean it's you know whilst like with the um, with the aperture um light dome, you get to go around the whole thing and like click out all these yeah. these different rods. You know with the ones that I use, it's literally one move and it's is open. It's done. Yeah. And um. So I like that when I'm setting up, it's it's just super 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 quick. Mm -hmm. They fold together to probably the same size as the light dome, actually, roughly. You know. Oh yeah, probably slightly smaller. Yeah. So you know, relatively it's relatively practical in that sense. But um, I've always liked them. They're super easy, Um, and I you know the brand name escapes me. To be honest, I've used them for so many years, and I've got so many of them. Is it Vitar? Maybe.
1: G-H-O-T-R?
0: it might be. It might be. That's that's how much I pay, attention I pay to to those. <laughs> <But I have laughs> if like if it's any of, different, we'll say below. Yeah, mm. I have lots of different sizes, um, and they work really super well. I, you know, for years and years and years, I used um, a pop-up um, softbox that's probably about ninety centimeters maybe in, in diameter or something like that, like a square softbox, mm-hmm. but just a pop-up one. Um, that really just slides over the kind of bones mount. doesn't even lock in. It just slides over the thing. Um, and I used to shoot tons and tons and tons of stuff. I went for years. That was like the main modifier that I used to use. Um, again, you know, particularly for headshots, that size works quite well for headshots. Um, you know, the disadvantage when it comes to, to soft boxes uh, in comparison to octa boxes is, is really predominantly um, the, you know... The uh, the light you get in your eyes, mm-hmm. yep. So that's um, you know the catchlights are obviously a different shape. And
1: well, how did, how how do they? Um, just for anyone who perhaps doesn't know what those shape, the different shapes are. What, what what's the difference?
0: Okay, so basically, you know, generally speaking, your desired catchlight is supposed to be something that somehow resembles the sun, because that would be what would naturally happen in nature, right? Mm-hmm. So if you took a picture of somebody you know outside, um, typically the, the the little this little white catchlight is what it's called in the eye that's usually shaped round because the sun is round. okay. Um, and so in order to make something look relatively natural, that's that's what you desire, generally speaking. Um, and so of course if you if you use a modifier, like a softbox, that's shaped differently, that shape will then be represented in the catchlight in the mm-hmm. eye. So if you use a um, a box that's you know square, you will get a square catchlight in the eye. And if you use um, a, a modifier that is, I mean, for argument's sake, if you use a modifier that's triangular, th- th- that I know of, any but if you did, then <laughs> the catchlight yeah, <laughs> the catch would be triangular, right? Um, so the idea with an octabox is, an octabox is essentially something that's pretty round. I mean, it's an, it's an octagon, right? So it's pretty round. So the, the, um, the catchlight you get in somebody's eyes is pretty round and therefore looks more like the sun. Um, so the other thing, the other modifier that's very common, for instance, uh, would be something like a beauty dish, which is totally round. and again, you would get a round catchlight in the eye. That's cool. But if you remember, um you know Disney, for example, if you look at Disney animated characters like Mickey Mouse or whatever, you very often see that the catch lines that they draw into the eyes are actually square. And there's all sorts of different theories as to why that is don't they? but hmm. um i've when I first got into portrait photography, for example, I've always really liked square catchlights and because it always reminded me of, of the kind of cartoon characters that, I, that I've sort of grown up with. Does that make sense? Yeah. So really, yeah, ultimately, I think, you know, the, the shape of modifier that you use is ultimately a creative decision.
1: So it's interesting, if you look at film as well, you often see square and rectangular. Yes, and that, is, that basically tells you exactly Um, what shape of modifiers Mm. have been used in that. I suspect there's more practical reasons behind using them than in in film at least anyway. um, um. One of the things about like rectangular
0: or square uh, rectangular modifiers would be that actually um, you can link them together almost to create a much bigger, much wider light source. So you could do that. You could kind of create a wall of light almost with those. Uh, much more easily than he could with like let's say octagons you know so um and uh and of course until i guess not too long ago just purely from a manufacturing point of view um it would have been easier to uh to manufacture square soft boxes than than it would have been to create a contraption that's actually that opens up like an octagon you know Um i mean it's really no surprise that the first soft modifiers like this uh, that, that um, you know, came out decades ago were predominantly soft boxes and actually the idea i mean that's another thing uh, to do with soft boxes is that um one of th- you know the, a very desirable type of light in a studio situation if you're shooting with um available light is window light mm-hmm. and windows square, windows it? are typically sh- mm. shaped square or rectangular and so, the idea with softboxes, of course, is that you're sort of imitating window light mm. in a way. So, you can argue that, for instance, if you were to shoot a model in front of a window, or indoors, something like that, um, then a softbox would actually be a better choice because it would more accurately represent uh, what would actually be going on in this space. Yeah. But if you're shooting somebody just in a straight up studio you know, situation with no, like with a background, you know, um, or, or outside, or something like that. Um, then, really, an octobox or some kind of more roundish um, modifier would probably be the better choice. Because, again, it would just look more realistic. Makes sense. And, you know, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, but uh, that was one of the, one of the things I taught my, my daughter when she was like, probably, I don't know, five or something, like years ago, was um, to look at the shape of the catchlight in the eye. Because I remember, you know, at that time, mm. we, were, we were at a train station in Germany, actually, waiting for a train, and there was a movie poster. For for like a Marvel, and maybe it was a DC superhero movie or something. And there was a whole like an ensemble cast like on the poster. Uh, maybe it was Justice League or something like that. And um, and I was look, you know, looking at the poster and I noticed that the catchlights in the eyes of the different superheroes were all different shapes. And so I you know I said to my I said to my daughter like oh look at this they were definitely not in the same place when this that this is a composite in other words it's
1: funny isn't it because you you would think that they would. Uh I mean, clearly they don't care. It doesn't matter because I, I mean, wrong to me. it's, it doesn't it's, matter. It's just an oversight. I mean, to be it, honest, I mean that's something you would uh, disseminate to the photographers taking the particular shots in wherever they are taking them that you need to use a square modifier, you might round whatever it might yeah. be, or you would just adjust it in post. Yeah, I mean, you typically just adjust it in post. Right. I mean, you know, done
0: it so many times. Um, where I've changed the shape of the of the catchlight, It's just it's a typical thing you do. Um, it's oh, something that is, uh, you know, it's just an I thing, just really, really. Yeah. But um, it was just interesting. And so, you know, I, I remember uh, talking to my daughter about uh, different modifiers and how you can figure out um, what kind of type of light modifier they use in the studio. And since then, she always points out the catchlights to me in, in any photo or, or, like, poster that she sees. So that's She's good. It's yeah, funny. She's learned. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's basically you know when it comes to the difference between um, soft boxes and and boxes, for example, and uh, and beauty light uh, beauty dishes, that's really where that comes from. Mm. So you're on one hand you're imitating um, window light, on the other hand you're imitating the sun, and it, you know bro- very broadly speaking, the other thing that uh, is really important is the size of the modifier. And that really depends on on a number of different factors. Because, as always, the idea is, you know, the the bigger the modifier in relation to the subject, the softer the light. Mm -hmm. So one, it has something to do with how soft or how hard you want the light to be. Um, And the size, what, what I mean by, you know, the size of the modifier in relation to the subject is basically it really depends on, first of all, how big the modifier is in itself, you know whether it's you know uh, uh, let's say it's like a one foot octabox or five foot or six foot octabox. Mm-hmm. Now, but also of course, it depends on how far away from the subject that um, that light modifier is. So, imagine for instance, if you're shooting let's, let's say you're shooting a group of people, like two, three, four people, a band, let's say a band shoot or whatever. Uh, because you you need a wider shot, that modifier will have to be further away from the subject. And so, therefore, in order to get the same softness of light, you need a bigger modifier. So, if you take a small modifier and you move it very close to the subject, relatively speaking, that will appear bigger. So, therefore, the light will be softer. Does That make sense. Yeah. And so, um, so it depends on the setup. It depends on how, you know, your lighting diagram and everything else. But basically speaking, um, a smaller modifier will appear bigger the closer you move it to uh, to a subject. So, for instance, you know, if I go um and do headshots for example. I typically use a I mean a relatively small octobox. Um uh, because I can because I'm only shooting the head. Right? From top of the head down to about just above the chest or something. Um I can move that thing in close and uh, because it's still gonna be out of shot even if it's still ready mm-hmm. because of the subject. Mm-hmm. So therefore it would be relatively large and the soft the the light will be as soft as I want it to be. Um if I were to shoot a group of people, like in a band shoot or something um, I would have to keep that modifier further away. So therefore, um, the, light, the light would be harder. But if I didn't want that, if I wanted to create softer light, I would just simply need to um, use a, a larger modifier of that. Um, which is, for instance, why I use you know, my five or six-foot um, octobox for a number of things.
1: So would it be fair to say um, you're six-foot from a subject? Mm-hmm. You can increase the size of the modifier yeah. to create softer light, yeah. or you can then simply, or if you've got the room, you can move it closer to create the same look in softer light as well. Yeah, so basically the distance from a subject will simply
0: um, uh, change the softness of the light, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and how it wraps around some space, for example, and so on and so forth. So when you're, you know, when you're creating something like, you know, the typical, um, that triangle under the light, uh, triangle in the eye kind of look for example then it really depends on how far away from the subject you are and and how big your modifier is and if you think about it um that really has a lot to do with the space that you're in oh, totally, you know so a typical example is like in my studio at home is the camera room is really small it's tiny and so I need to, you know, I, I can't actually get the distance from a from a subject. So if mm-hmm. I'm doing a full-body, full-length shot, you know, I'm literally pushing my lights and my modifiers as close to the wall as I can because I don't really have the space. If you're in a big hall or a big studio or something, you move them around any way you want, easy peasy. And you very often see that in, like, bigger studios, for instance, you know, the modifiers are usually quite a lot bigger because they just have that space to mm-hmm. move around. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, everything's really tied up together um and so I can get away with with uh with using much smaller modifiers and the thing is you know you get a lot more control especially when you harness reflections um in my case in my studio space um the the walls are all white the walls and seating are all painted white and I get a lot of reflection there obviously um, and that's really what I want typically for for headshots because mm. actually um I want it to be evenly lit but then um, I want to be able to to regulate the shadows just by bringing it in with flags that's usually what I do um but generally speaking there's a lot of um you know re- reflect like reflecting reflecting reflection going on because a lot bounces off the ceiling and uh, and, and the and the walls and everything if you are in a much bigger space where the walls are much further away you're gonna have to work with reflect this a lot more and you're going to have to sort of just tame that in a little bit because otherwise your shadows might end up getting a little too deep and mm. mm-hmm. um, you have to kind of just fill them in i have the opposite i don't really the opposite problem i don't really need to fill in um the shadows in fact i have to create the shadows with flags that's the problem that i have yeah. it's kind of yeah. the opposite from when you're in a, in a bigger space um and uh you know so so yeah i mean the size of the modifier the the space in, in which you're in all of all of those um, all of those things really have an impact on the final result but again none of that is a problem as long as you know how to work the light that you've got in the space that you're in so. and it's really an all in it's not very hard but of course experience is what really matters most and again you know, we were talking about Murphy here um, a minute ago you having something like that like a mannequin hat type of thing is super useful in getting used to that uh, first of all, in the space that you're in, um, but then also, you know, to create to to just you know generate that ability to to really modify um, the look that you're after in in any space, you know. And I think everybody's got their favorite old modifier they use. In fact, I did a, a thing with another photographer the other day, and he was using umbrellas. I don't really use umbrellas unless they're like for bigger group shoots, so they're really useful for that. Um, I just like softboxes
1: or octaboxes boxes quite a well. lot, um, but what, again, what's the for anyone who perhaps only uses one or the other? Mm-hmm. What, what's the difference in using them, both practically and the result that you get?
0: Okay, so the thing with umbrellas is um, they are just you, you're just not able to control the light um, as as closely as you can with softboxes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. with an umbrella, for example, there's two different types of umbrellas, broadly speaking. There's basically two two ways can use them. You either have shoot-through umbrellas, which is basically a white umbrella, um, and you, a, you basically point the umbrella at the subject and the yep. light shoots into the umbrella. And what happens is the umbrella itself um, diffuses the light and creates a bigger light source. And So again, what you're doing is you're creating something that's bigger, therefore softer. So you're creating softer light. So if you, if you were to aim... Um, a strobe or a a speed light or something directly at your subject without any modification at all, it will give you pretty hard light, relatively hard light. And that's a look. Nothing wrong with that. That's just one particular look. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that we often think, well, it looks very flashy, right? Like it looks like somebody's used to flash. Um, But you can soften that light by simply creating a bigger surface um, a bigger diffusion surface, and so therefore you're creating a bigger light source. So if you think about, you know, if you're pointing a speed light directly at a person, um, you know, the actual light source is going to be like this big or something, you know, a few inches across because that's mm. how mm-hmm. big a um, speed light is. And if you shoot that through an umbrella, the light spreads out, and the size of the umbrella becomes the size of the light source. So therefore the light's softer. Okay, but because you're shooting into the umbrella, and the light goes absolutely everywhere. Um, it's also really hard to really control the direction of the light that way, because again, if you're in a relatively small room, the light you know bounces, it reflects back out of the umbrella, and it goes up to the ceiling and reflects everywhere. You're not really going to be able to um, to control the direction or the directionality mm-hmm. of that light very much. So that's good. Doesn't have to be a bad thing. Um, totally. That's really good when you're shooting a group of people. Right. Because you want right. everybody to be lit relatively easy, uh, relatively evenly, and so therefore umbrellas are perfect for that,
1: you know. Um, but if you're, it's 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 funny because you know you, rightly or wrongly, mm. um, you kind of associate umbrellas with your high street portrait photography studios yeah well okay do you know what i mean yeah i I don't mean i true i know that i know it kind of comes across as a a negative thing but that's not what i mean at all there's a reason for that um but that's what i kind of associate umbrellas with yeah absolutely and there's a reason for that but before we get to
0: that Mm -hmm. um let me just talk about the other way to use Mm -hmm. um, umbrellas so again you know you can use them as shoot through umbrellas especially just a white umbrella and you shoot through it um, but the other thing is also you can use them as a sort as of a reflector almost, where you turn the whole thing around, and you're pointing your speed light or your strobe away from the subject, and you're basically opening up the umbrella. At the inside of the umbrella, they're usually black, but the inside is usually reflective, so it could be silver, for example, mm-hmm. or white. And what happens is you shoot into the umbrella, and the, the light bounces off and reflects back onto the subject. And again, you're getting a bigger light source a wider spread slightly different look from a shoot-through umbrella um, but again because an umbrella because of the nature of an umbrella it just spills everywhere it goes absolutely everywhere and mm-hmm. um the, the, you know the directionality of it is very difficult to control that way um now I again I did, I did a, um, a thing with another photographer not too long ago and he's been using umbrellas pretty much exclusively for years and years and years and he had the same Tatty old umbrella that he's been using for the last 20 years or something. And of course what he does, he just he just opens or closes the umbrella to different degrees in order to change the direction of the light or control the direction of the light a little bit. That's great. Totally doable. You know, it's a great way um to to really get a lot of mileage out of something that's really not expensive. That's the other thing. Umbrellas are super cheap. Yeah, they are, aren't they? They are cheap, <laughs> cheap, cheap, and cheap. You can know, get them in different sizes. Um doesn't break the bank. And for anybody wanting to get into studio lighting, you know, speed lights and umbrellas, super cheap way of doing that. Um, perfect. You can get used to using artificial light. Um, it's a great way. And you can sort of, later on, you can move on to um, some soft boxes, some octa boxes, or whatever. Um, totally awesome. I mean, uh, you know, it's a great way to, mm. to get into it. Um, the thing about high street photographers that you mentioned is that, what um, you know, and I say this because a few years ago I was actually offered to take over um, a high street studio, um, which I declined because I really didn't want to. And so the, the idea behind a high street studio, so a high street studio in, in UK terms, really, you know, for all of our international listeners, is basically um, the typical photo studio you would find, at, you know, in a main street or in a high street in a, in a town, maybe a small town or something. Um, and, you know, they predominantly do, um, you know, family photos um you know portraits a newborn that sort of
1: stuff right um the idea there really is but basically anything for the f- family that joe public would for want joe public, right? yeah general, yeah and they yeah. might do other things on the site, you know whatever If you're um, looking for headshots, head, or headshots or portraits for a professional reason that's probably not where those people are going to go it's they're, definitely they're, not what it, they specialize in it's yeah, for someone it. walking down high, literally down the high street or the road yeah. you go know, oh I want to take my family in for that. I want to do this with my dog or I want to, yeah, you know, absolutely. whatever yeah. it might and be. And you would call kind of you would kind of call thing. that
0: a generalist yeah. photographer and you know, there's a need for that. And there's a reason for that. And that's absolutely. All, that's all cool. Yeah. Um, but when you go into a studio like this, and I know this from personal experience because um, there's this long tradition in my family um, to go to the photographer, to the studio and have a family portrait done like every other year, every year or whatever. Right. In all sorts of different constellations. And that goes back to, um, uh, decades and decades in my family, right? Um, and so it's this thing where, you know, get yourself dressed up on a particular day, you go to the studio, you know, and uh, you walk in, they take a few shots, you walk out, and then uh, they get you the prints maybe a week later or something, you pick up the prints and that's it, right? And and of course, what happens there is if you think about it, um, It's that's that's the point where they're selling a lot of shoots really cheap because it has to be affordable to families, right? Hmm? This is very different from some more uh, contemporary studio ideas but generally speaking tr- traditionally you go in as a family you'd, you'd pay for a family shoot it wouldn't break the bank it'd be relatively cheap and you know you get a few prints um, out of it as well okay cool now with that model you have to sell a lot of slots and you have to sell them really cheaply which is why i remember you know you get like flyers through the door saying like you know family photo shoot for like 40 quid or something and i sit in and think how can they make a living I mean, it's just not Mm-hmm. Totally not feasible. But of course, it's the number of shoots that you get in. So you're constantly having to promote what you're doing. You're constantly having to get people through the door. And what that means is time is money. When people turn up in a studio, you can't start fuffing around moving lights around or something. It has to be the one setup that fits all. And umbrellas are actually really good for, for that. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's very, very different from um, the type of photography or photographer that's... Much more specialized. Like, for instance, if you go to a headshot photographer, uh, you go there for a very specific reason because you mm-hmm. need something very specific, which is a headshot. Um, especially when you look at um, take, I mean, we, we talked about uh, you know, Ivan's, uh, Ivan Wees's work, for instance, in the past. Like, that's so specific. It basically means you go to Ivan because not only because you want a headshot, but because you want that particular look of headshot. That's why you go to this sp- specific, particular yeah. photographer. Um,
1: and why anyone would not want that specific <laughs> type of headshot is beyond me. That's, that's <laughs> and if you, you know, it's awesome.
0: Absolutely. And if you if you don't like Ivan's work, come and see me. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, but, you know, so this is very, very different. But then, of course, as always in any form of business, business, if you're looking for something very specific that also comes with a price tag. And that's, of course... Aimed at a completely different clientele mm-hmm. from the high street oh, sure. from the high street photography type of a thing, you know, um, and so again, the gear that you use it very much reflects what it is that you're doing. You know, if you if you're doing something that's very generalist, then you need a light source and equipment that will be very general. And again, umbrellas work really really well for that, um, and. uh and so, yeah, so, I mean, these are basically, this, long story cut short, these are really the two ways that you would uh, use umbrellas with. Um, there's a lot more flexibility in umbrellas, actually, than people initially think, potentially, mm-hmm. because you can also get diffusion socks that go over the top of it. You can actually turn an umbrella into a softbox um, by literally putting, like, a diffusion material over the umbrella. And these ones are actually really, really useful if you're the kind of photographer that takes the stuff on the road so if you go and you see you go uh, to your client's premises for example or you go to convention centers or um you're shooting conferences or something like that and uh, that really really um allows you to really pack down your your gear a lot smaller because an umbrella takes virtually almost zero space yep. compared to a softbox yep. or an octobox. and when you're traveling that really makes a big 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 difference a big difference so um you know, and somebody's i remember—we t- we were talking about like my shooting space, for instance, in the past, and the fact that I like uh, to use particular um, lights by Interfit because they're cuboid and they, they have a different form factors, and I get them, I get them close to the wall. Um, and you know, quite a few people have commented on why don't you use, you know, uh, umbrellas with a diffusion sock because you can turn it around and you can basically push the umbrella against guess, Well, true, absolutely true. I just happen to like octaboxes. Yeah, you know. Um, they, I mean, there's subtle, subtle differences when it comes to the quality of the light, and um, there are subtle differences in how you can feather the lights and stuff like that. What?
1: Here's a question for you. Mm. What does a catch light from an Oxo box versus a umbrella look like? So they look very
0: similar. They look similar. They look very similar. Particularly, uh, you know. Yeah, under circumstances, they don't... Because, again, it's the shape of the light of the light mm-hmm. modifier that's, yeah, yeah. that's the important part. Um, so what looks a little bit different, for instance, is um, a beauty dish. A yeah. beauty dish is round, but a beauty dish has a reflector plate in the middle. And what you typically see as a catch light is basically a round catch light with a slightly darker spot in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Not to be mistaken for a ring light, because a ring light has a really dark center, you know, um, and looks not like a Sun at all there is just a ring of light which has its own look and it cool. does and they yeah.
1: absolutely have their uses and, and, of they, course, and they have some very practical uses yeah. as well as Tommy Reynolds oh for sure but if you're only using that yeah but okay. of course what we haven't really talked about is you know
0: using reflectors for example because again you can add multiple catchlights into the eye by using reflectors you know mm-hmm. or multiple light cells so this but again then you know you get to the point where you know these are like creative um, decisions um, Peter Hurley's work, for instance, you know, he uses um, a different way of uh, constant light. Um, that's sort of, sh- they're actually three lights, three strip boxes that are rectangular and relatively yep. narrow. And they're basically arranged into a triangle. And what you mm-hmm. get is you get this triangular shape um, around the um, the pupil of the eye, which is a very distinctive look. That doesn't look natural at all because no. the last time I checked, our sun is not triangular. But it could be. You probably. don't know. Well. But, you know, but it creates a look and, um, and a very specific look. And also the way that it evenly lights the, the surface, the mask of the face. It looks spectacular. It's, uh, you know, it's very, very specific, it's a very specific look. But, you know, again, um, you, you know, these are the things that you would consider uh, as a portrait photographer, for example. Um, so you basically, you know, you consider um, the shape of the light source, the distance of the light source and the size of the light source um, to your subject. And that's, that'll basically then um, inform you as to how um, you know how hard or how soft the light source is and which direction it comes from or and stuff. so What I'm wondering is, how did we get
1: into all of that? Not, yeah, I have no idea. We honestly can't remember. <laughs> wow. Oh. Interesting subject, did, though. Did, I mean, it really is. I didn't expect to go there. Yeah, no, there you go. That's that's what this podcast is all about. I tell you, we got there. Oh wait, no, you're talking about um, Kara and oh no Catch no Lights. no no. We were talking about um, our favorite
0: piece of gear that we bought this year. That's it. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, actually, just to continue on with that, coming oh, coming back to that. Um, What's yours? It's actually a C stand that I bought. How boring. Oh well, it seems boring, but it's, <laughs> no, it it seems boring, but you know it's. Um, I haven't actually, to be honest, haven't really. I haven't bought any lenses, and I haven't bought any camera bodies for sure um, in the last twelve months. I'm pretty sure I haven't.
1: No. Um, See, I've gone for a real, sh- real shift in yeah um, gear these like past 12, 18 months, or so. Yeah, and I'm hanging tight. But I'm hanging, hanging tight. I'm
0: hanging tight because I'm waiting for something very specific yeah. to happen. But um, C stand's good though. Yeah. So C stand um, is a very extremely useful tool and. They are more pricey, and I've sort of shied away from that um, in the past, predominantly because, actually, um, I used to, pre-pandemic, used to travel a lot um, with my gear. And so, you know, being able to pack down my light stands or whatever, really small, was actually really important. Mm. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I've never really had a need for a C-stand. But now that I'm shooting more in a set space... um. I actually find C stands incredibly useful. It's probably the single most practical, useful tool um, or piece of equipment that I use.
1: There is very little one can do any C stand. There's very little it can't do.
0: That's very. That's totally. there's very little they can. They can't do. Every this particular one I use a, um, a C stand by Newer. Uh, which I have to say is is super awesome. It's solid as hell. Um, and and super those flexible. newer
1: ones are a lot cheaper than many of them out there. Uh, but the, yeah. the, the quality is fantastic.
0: Yeah, the quality is fantastic. There's a little trick to that as well. But basically, um, what I like about this newer is is that it's, as far as C stands are concerned, it's super flexible. Um, it's a boom. It has a boom arm, um, which works extremely well. Um, and also... Um, you can you can buy some additional um, wheels for it that allows you to basically wheel, you know you just basically add the wheels to the to the feet mm. and then um, and you can wheel it around, which is again
1: you know that's something I've come to appreciate a lot. So those who may not be overly familiar with C stands, um, they used in photography studios all over the world. Oh, and right? film. That's, anyway, that's where they if, come if, from. If, if you're is. any kind yeah. of pro pro photographer, there, there's going to be a C stand there, mm. and there's a reason for it. Just for awareness, you will also find C-Stands, the same type of C-Stands with perhaps slightly different connectors on on the end, in all of the best recording studios in the world. Oh yeah, You will also find them in wherever some kind of engineering is being done as well. The same type of C-Stand, there'll be slight differences to them to make them suit that particular environment, but it's the same stuff. It's exactly the same thing. There's a reason for it. They're the most durable stands I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, they're durable.
0: You know, they're flexible. Um, you know, they're solid. Anybody who's ever used any like light stands, like foldable light stands will, I mean, I think any photographer I know that this that does anything um, remotely with, you know, artificial lighting and has a collection of, of regular light stands will tell you that basically, you know, they break all the time. Um, you end up with uh, like a graveyard of skeleton light stands yeah. in your garage or something like that, you know. And you end up Frankensteining them together or whatnot. Yeah, um, they're a pain in the ass. They are also like you know you need to weigh them down all the time because they're, they're lightweight and they you know, they're not particularly sturdy and whatever. And you know especially when you're on location, they're a real pain in the ass, mm. if not um, a safety hazard basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, you know if you want to put your like really expensive studios drops on, on one of those then good luck but and that being said there are companies like Manfrotto for example who makes a more sturdier more solid light stands uh, that, that oh, are for sure. that are a lot more worthwhile but um, the, the I mean in pri- in terms of price I mean the difference between a, like a super sturdy Manfrotto and a C stand they're kind of give or take the same right give or take the same yeah mm. I mean the, the C stand is really something that's um, when you're shooting in a fixed location um, is the single most useful
1: piece of gear and this is the difference isn't it really yeah. is that you don't re- you can't travel with a c-stand well, you, well can. you can you can and i do we have yeah. yeah we do yeah. <laughs> but it's not particularly practical to take multiple c-stands with you no not a few um if you you know if you need three or four on a sheep. whereas if you take three or four manfrotto style you don't get the degree of flexi- flexibility you do mm. with a c-stand but it's a significantly smaller package. Yeah. It's much lighter. Um, you may need to bring a different stand, which is a boom, depend- depending on what you're doing, mm. which may be beneficial. So if you're going to travel a lot and you need it to go to remote shoots with multiple stands, C-stand might not be the right thing to do, maybe one, depending on how you're traveling. But if you're generally, as you say, in a fixed mm. kind of location – I'm not sure why you would use anything else. No, true. I mean, you actually save yourself a lot of money in the long run. You know, it's one Absolutely. of the, because you'd just
0: be replacing you know the cheaper yep. um, lighting stats all the time. So you know that's that is just you know if you're you know if you're sort of a if you're <coughs> an amateur, I'd say going into semi-pro, um, and you decide you want to shoot more with um, artificial lighting. I mean, making an investment into a C stand uh, that will pay off very quickly. I think. You'd-
1: you know. Rather than upgr- trying to upgrade your young new speed lights, oh, up- upgrade 100%. to a C stand. Don't yeah. upgrade those lights because the benefit you will get from a C stand is far greater than upgrading to a pro photo light. For that, that's actually
0: that's a, that's a really good point. If you're thinking about moving, you know, from speed lights to studio strobes, um, I would say that it's a better investment to ditch your your existing cheap lighting stands and invest in two C stand mm-hmm. or two. That's probably a better investment and carry on using um speed lights rather you know, rather than spending considerably more money and uh, and upgrading to studio strops. Studio Trops uh, Studio are super awesome and they have their uses. But really, really, really and truly um they're of uh, for the amateur photographer, stroke semi pro photographer, they are very little things you cannot do with a speedlight absolutely that you would absolutely need to have a studio strobe for uh, i mean in my in my view i mean i've run my business for for four or five years or something on speedlights yep. alone i never had a problem it's never been an issue um i you know if it wasn't for a number of practicality issues um i would quite happily carry on shooting with street over uh, speedlights absolutely no problem yeah but um uh, I mean, actually, just talking about one thing to do with uh, spe- uh, with um, C stands that I've come across uh, over the last year, which has which has uh, again turned out to be one of the best little hacks that I've come across. This is actually based on um, something I saw Joel Grimes do, and that's the, the thing is like when you when you put your studio strobe um, onto when you connect it to your C stand or to any lighting stand, you find that the, the tip of the lighting stand is usually round right mm-hmm. which is not a problem if you if you're um you know, if you set up your your lighting stand and you put your light on top of it not a problem as soon as you work with a boom arm and you try and move that around um at a right angle for example or as any angle uh, then what happens is the weight of the strobe will basically mean that the the strobe itself starts turning or twisting on the on the top because the top is ra- the top of the connectors
1: round so if you beam's pointing out sh- straight, and you've got yeah. and you, you've got your modifier pointing. you know, it's, it's attached off that way, just yeah. for argument's sake. Yeah. It's going to gradually yeah. go like that, isn't exactly. it? Exactly, because yeah. no matter how
0: you know, you might, no matter how tight uh, you you tighten the might um, be right for a little while, but yeah, exactly. Sh- yeah, and you know, if you're using like a Studio Strobe <laughs> you know, plus um, an octobox, then the weight um, of that mm-hmm. will very quickly make itself known. And so, and then you, what happens is you, you tighten the the actual tightening screw on on the strobe more and more and eventually over-tighten and that's happened to me. And they're often plastic as well, yeah. those ones. And that's, you know, that's happened to me. Um, you over-tighten it, the thing breaks, you bug it and you're going to have to spend some money on getting a replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I say that. Tell uh, us, Kay, what is the solution? Well, I'll tell you what the solution is <laughs> in a minute, but, you know, this, this is a real <laughs> shout out to our friends at Interfit, by the way, because this happened to me uh, on one of my Interfit badges um, and uh, and I called them up and literally within a day or two, I had a replacement in the mail. It was super easy. Um, and the guys at Interfit were incredibly helpful, especially because I had a production coming up as well. I need to find a super fast solution for that. Um, and that was awesome, I have to say. So big thumbs up to the guys at Interfit, Legends. Uh, who are absolute legends. And uh, saved the day for me now. So thank you very much. But here's the solution for the, the lights. Say again? Yeah.
1: Tell us, K... <laughs> What's the solution?
0: Well, the solution is, is an angle grinder. It's the solution.
1: Tell us, Kay. How many fingers have you got left? <laughs> all all <laughs> ten. All ten.
0: Um, this is me. I, you know, I'm not. What I'm did not, you do? Uh, so the idea really is, is that you essentially you want to create a flat surface on one side of the tip of the light stand, right, of the boomer, and so. That's safe. Freaking
1: obvious, isn't uh, and it? I know it's obvious. I know
0: it's obvious. I don't know why they don't make them like this. Why aren't?
1: That's a very good point. That's, why are they uh, not make them like that? That doesn't make any sense to Someone me. Someone out there knows.
0: I mean, that just doesn't make if- any sense to me. Um, anyway, so I basically went and I literally... Um, and again, you know, Joe Grimes put me onto this idea because he does that to to every one of his lighting stands. And so I went, okay, no problem. I went to uh, B&Q, which is our like DIY home store kind of thing in the UK. I bought an angle grinder for literally for twenty five quid. In Home America. Paper, yeah. Um I bought an angle grinder for twenty-five quid. Um and a grinding disc or whatever. And I went I went to it and I literally just grinded a, a flat surface on the on the on the tip of the lighting stand. I did that to all of my lighting stands, by the way, and to the boom arm that we use for uh, audio mm-hmm. and stuff like that, because I had a little connector for that, like a little adapter. Yeah, yeah. Um it I cannot tell you. How this little modification that literally took two minutes to make has entirely changed, you know, my stress levels at a shoot. I mean it's just it's just incredible, you know, and it's something so simple um that anybody with zero DIY skills will be able to manage, by the way.
1: Honestly, it was that easy. It's Why also, haven't you given me the grinder yet?
0: Yeah, you can borrow it. I've got this it. yeah, it's a home. Yeah, for any boomer like the I'm not using boom there, but um you know the the boom oh, yeah, that you that have, yeah, we should there. definitely do that to that. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um so uh yeah, so I did that. Huh. And it's it literally takes under two minutes right. to, to make
1: and it's don't everything. don't take our word for it at all. Joel Grimes does it. <laughs> It should enough, be enough. Well, that was basically it. If it's
0: if it's good enough for Joel, then it'll be good enough for me. And it's uh, like I said, it was a little hack. Um, you know, I'm super grateful that he taught me how to do that. And um, and uh, and it's such a little tiny little but super useful thing. Um, th- I mean, this brings me to 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 the whole hack thing. I think that you know there are people out there who use little hacks like that for all sorts of different things to do with photography and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So if you have, if you know, of, uh, a little really useful hack um, it'd be super awesome if you could share that with us and our listeners uh, because you know that's why we're here we're trying to we're trying to um spread the love and the knowledge and all that um and if you have a little hack um that you find really super useful then you know please get in touch and share that with us you can of course email us uh, to camera podcast at gmail.com or you can just use any of the socials um instagram um facebook and a like, or leave a, leave a comment in the in the YouTube um, comments down below if you are watching this episode on YouTube. Uh, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, then you know there's nothing that that will keep you from heading over to uh, to YouTube and give us a, little, you know, hit the subscribe button, ring the bell, and all that kind of jazz. That'd be super awesome. So, super awesome, super awesome. But that being said. I think we've pretty much come to the end of... Ooh, not quite. Not quite.
1: Let's just talk about my MacBook real quick. Oh, okay, yeah. Just real quick. (laughs) Mac update. Mac update. I'm going to pick up my phone. The date. Because I don't have this written down. Hold on. So, MacBook has finally arrived. (laughs) It's awesome, by the way. To the point where I used it for an hour, went back to my previous existing kind of macbook and didn't like being on it already oh really okay i didn't like the keyboard i didn't Mm. like the way it looked i didn't like the way it felt nothing Mm. it's that that nice i love it but i did a very quick test and it is very quick so i only had a few days and i ran it while i was doing some other stuff elsewhere and what i did was i um exported our previous episode mm-hmm. on my 2019 fully-specced um, Intel um, i9 uh, MacBook. Mm-hmm. And then I did the same thing on the new um, M1 Pro Max mm-hmm. that I've got. Okay. Want to hear the results? No, right, go for it. This is pure just quick time test on just hit and export. Done. Done moving the external hard drives over and mm-hmm. running it again. Right. Both run on DaVinci Resolve, both studio versions, nothing else open, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, both plugged in and powered and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Actually, that might not be tr- Actually, that's not true. Right. My old MacBook was plugged in and powered because the battery's knackered. Right. My new MacBook was on battery power. So, actually, it's probably slightly frostled. Mm. That's worth noting. Either way, here are the results. So, 2019 MacBook, fully specced. Opening up DaVinci Resolve took eight seconds. Mm-hmm. M1 MacBook, M1 Max MacBook, opening up DaVinci Resolve took five seconds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Slight increase, not a big deal, a few mm. seconds. Sure. All right. Um. I decided to note when the fans turned on as well, okay. so I thought that could be quite interesting. So the fans on my um, 2019 MacBook, when they go on, they're either on or off. There mm-hmm. doesn't ever seem to be anything in between. They're on or they're off. So or off. Right. So once I start, I hit export. The fans on my old MacBook, my 2019, turned on after a minute. Mm-hmm. Not hugely unexpected. The new MacBook turned on after six minutes, but were are very quiet. Mm-hmm. There's varying levels of fans for these MacBooks. Then the total export, bearing in mind the episode was maybe an hour and a half, mm-hmm. give or take. On my 2019 MacBook, took an hour and 15 minutes to export in total. Mm-hmm. And the new MacBook, you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Are you sure you're ready for this? Go for it. New MacBook took 20 minutes and 53 seconds. Oh, wow. Okay. What's that? Four times? Yeah. Ish? Yeah, no. Just we'll ballpark? Nice. There we go. Quick, rough and ready test that I just ran yeah. just in the background Yeah. while I was doing other stuff. I will do something more substantial, but I don't think I need to. I don't care enough. I just yeah. know it's about four times faster mm. at doing everything. But what I do notice immediately is I do some pre renders and whatnot here and there. Mm. That was totally fresh, no pre renders, just everything straight rendering and mm. export, and rendering and encoding, I should say. Um, but certain projects I will render at the same time right. um, in the back, a bit like Final Cut does. Yeah, right? same same principle, mm. and they they run at least four times faster as well. Nice. I I don't know know what to say. That's basically the
0: point where, you know. With two years difference, is it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the point where you basically realize that actually, you know, that extra investment will pay back in time saved relatively quickly.
1: Absolutely. And that's definitely the practical way to think about it. And that's Mm. the way I would ordinarily think about it. But I think about this particular one in a slightly different way. Mm. And it is the, what's the best way to put this? It's the difference between me going, ripping my hair out and going, will you hurry up? Why are you crashing? Why are you doing this? Why is this taking so long? To me going, me happy. Ah, oh, it's very nice. It's done. Thank you very yeah, much. That's well fair. done, Mac. That, mm-hmm. emotionally, yeah. it makes a bigger difference than the, the time saved. Yeah, Yeah. well, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, uh, just... just it, when you know what you know what it's like when something doesn't run or isn't running properly or is running really slow you just want to smash your screen
0: well plus you know i remember the days like i mean a good well i mean just okay so this would be like 15 years ago or something when i used to use premiere pro with like you know was it creative suite cs 1. Two, 1 on no CS2. Point, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you had, you know, even, even for a short video, you basically had to leave it on overnight to render. Mm-hmm. You know, back in like twenty twelve yep. eleven or something, 2012. You know, and then the frustration, you wake up the next morning, you go and check, and something's gone wrong, and it stopped rendering halfway through, and you go, flipping heck, I'm going to have to set this up again. Ah, oh, and it's another eight hours. Oh, my God. You know, so, I mean, that's, you know, if you imagine how, How far we've come. This this would have been like 720 footage, you know, (laughs) whatever. I mean, you know, yeah, relevant to the day, but um,
1: or relative to the day, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 amazing. This is it. This is it, and no doubt next year it'll be faster again. And but interestingly, they're already releasing um, uh, uh, OS updates, Mm. which are speeding up different parts and in particular right. they've just put an alpha update out so it's not even a beta yet mm. but the alpha version of it has sped up 3d rendering on it um like four times mm. so when they released and, and what i mean by that is that just for argument's sake they released a new macbook which is already doing mm. my regular type of encoding and export at mm. four times faster than my previous macbook yeah. But it was doing 3D rendering. Let's just, for argument's sake, it was doing something in um, 10 minutes. Mm. The up the software update that they're bringing in right now has brought that 3D rendering down mm. four times. Oh, wow. Amazing. It's a quarter, roughly. Mm. Roughly. What else are they going to improve times. and make it more efficient? Well, it, you know, you
0: would be able to do it on your phone. That's the next thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and on there that bombshell <laughs> what's a horrible bombshell to I, finish. Know, I know <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, joking. Know.
0: but okay so we, we have um, we have come to the end of episode 87 of the camera shake podcast a merry Christmas to you if you are listening to this episode on Christmas day wow you're safe in the knowledge that we are with you all the way now we'll see you again next week of course by that time we would have been um, several several pounds heavier I suppose and most likely, so would you be. So um, we'll see you again on <laughs> the other just, s- Did you just call our viewers fat? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, well, this is, this is the effects of Christmas. Anyway, we'll see you on the other side of Christmas. Have a good time. Um, enjoy the holidays. Absolutely, Chubs. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> have a good time. We'll see you next week.